Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, my name is uh, Katie Desmond. I'm an attorney in Ogletree Deacons New York office. I'm here with my colleague, Catherine McElwain, a shareholder also in our New York office. Catherine and I are going to talk a bit about considerations for foreign national uh, workers during a reduction in force. In the current economic climate, businesses across industries have announced layoffs and hiring freezes. Many of these businesses rely on foreign worker talent. While reductions in force trigger several legal considerations for employers, layoffs impacting foreign national employees often bring additional challenges. Catherine, what happens to foreign workers who are subject to a reduction in force? Most of the time, if somebody's on a non-immigrant work visa, they're going to have a 60-day grace period if their I-94 is valid for that amount of time. And during that 60 days, they can get their bearings a little bit after the reduction in force and then take some sort of action whether that's leaving the country, whether that's changing to a different visa status, or whether that's finding a new job and having a new employer file a visa petition on their behalf. And who benefits from the grace period? Most non-immigrant visa types do, H's, O's, T's, E's, and L's. But L's are usually kind of going to get the short end of the stick in that regard because L's are employer-specific visas, so there's not as much of a an opportunity for an L to change to another employer. Um, L's most of the time would need to leave the country or change to another visa status if they're eligible for that. Are there any options for those who might be in F1 student status? Yeah, well, F1s who use OPT for work authorization do have a good amount of flexibility to change employers uh, because the OPT can go to a different employer. The only thing that F1s need to consider, in addition to the STEM training plan being amended if they're on STEM OPT, is that there are limits to the amount of unemployment that OPT holders can have. So someone who's on their initial OPT is only going to be allowed 90 days of total unemployment, and that goes up to 150 days if they're on STEM OPT. But, you know, the non-immigrant visa isn't really the whole picture for someone who is a foreign national working in the U.S. I think there's green card considerations as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So on the green card side, it's really going to depend on how far along the foreign national is in the green card process. So starting with those who are in the final stages of the green card process, they may be eligible for portability, which is transferring that pending green card to a new employer. So here, we're really talking about those that have completed the PERM step, they have an approved I-140, and they have an adjustment of status application that's been pending for six months or more. So these folks may be able to transfer their pending green card to a new employer to assume a same or similar occupation. The good news here is that that USCIS tends to be uh, pretty reasonable in, in interpreting same, similar occupation. Um, So in these cases, a new green card filing is not required. The employee would also continue to be eligible for work authorization uh, pursuant to an approved employment authorization document or EAD based on that pending green card application. 
For folks who have an approved I-140 but might not have filed that adjustment of status application or they're not quite far enough along in the process to be eligible for portability, they would likely have to restart that PERM green card process with a new employer. The good news here is that they would likely keep their priority date that's listed on the I-140 approval. That's going to be their, their place in the queue, in the green card queue. Now, for folks who are subject to quota backlogs, and these are typically going to be individuals who are born in India or China, they may be able to use that approved I-140 to continue extending their H-1B in three-year increments beyond that H-1B cap. So the H-1B is capped at six years, um, but if you have that approved I-140 subject to a quota line, you may be eligible to extend that H in three-year increments. So here, they would have to restart the green card process, but the good news is, is that depending on where they are in the quota line, there might not be a material impact to the overall green card timeline, and they may have the ability to continue extending work authorization. Now, if somebody hasn't made much progress in the green card process, so for example, they may still be within that PERM stage and they're short on time, they may have trouble going to uh, another employer as a new employer may see risk in hiring somebody with limited um, work authorization time remaining. In these cases, there may be a gap in the individual's work authorization while they're waiting to reach certain milestones in the green card process. Catherine, what are some of the common questions that you receive during a reduction in force? I'd say the number one question I get from foreign nationals is with regard to the 60-day grace period, and I often get the question of when does that start? And the reason is that a lot of employers may give a foreign national notice that they've been terminated and have them stop working immediately, but then pay them for a few months or for whatever extended period of time. And so a, a reasonable question we get asked is, does, does my 60-day grace period start when I stop working or when I stop getting paid? And the reason that comes up is that when somebody is filing a petition for a new employer, they are going to show a pay stub to show maintenance of the underlying visa status. And that pay, that pay stub could be dated much later than their last day working. However, realistically, the non-immigrant visa status is going to be dependent on actually working and being a productive worker. So for that reason, the 60-day grace period really starts on the last day working, not the last day being paid. I also get a lot of questions about changing status. Uh, so if maybe somebody doesn't quickly find a new job and they need to change status to wrap up their affairs in the U.S., we get questions fairly often about you know, how reasonable that is and how that works. Some people may opt to switch to a visitor status. And I think the number one thing to keep in mind with that is that that really is designed for a very short term period where somebody can wrap up their affairs quickly and ultimately theoretically leave the country. So the visitor status is not a cure to stay here for a long period of time. A lot of people will also explore options if they are married to a foreign national who holds their own employer-sponsored visa, they could potentially switch to a dependent visa. And that creates a little bit more time to even maybe find a new job. Um, and with those topics in mind, we have to think about employer obligations as well. So for LCA-based petitions, those with a, a wage requirement, employers must affirmatively withdraw the petitions in writing. Um, so that's an action employers have to take. 
Employers must also offer to pay for reasonably uh, priced return airfare for H-1Bs, E-3s, Os, Ps, and H-2Bs. It's important to note here, employers are not required to pay for return airfare for family members. It's only the um, employee worker. And I know we've talked a lot about the impact to individual foreign nationals, but I think it's important to mention some of the broader impacts to employers' programs, especially when it comes to green card sponsorship or the PERM process. It's possible that no foreign national is laid off, but if there is a reduction for force, that could impact the broader PERM program. Because if a U.S. worker has been laid off in a similar role to the role that a foreign national holds, it's possible that the employer will not be able to proceed with the PERM for that foreign national. And if the reduction in force is pretty large, it's possible that the employer may also have to cease the PERM program entirely for a period of time. And the reason that can be particularly challenging right now is that processing times with the Department of Labor have gotten very slow at multiple steps of the PERM process, both with prevailing wages and with the PERMs filed with the Department of Labor themselves. And so if there is a pause and somebody has a limit to their underlying visa time, we do have to observe that very carefully and make sure that everybody's you know, in, in good shape and is not in danger of losing work authorization. So in conclusion, before implementing a reduction in force, employers may want to carefully review the status of their foreign national employees to assess potential impacts to their immigration status or pending applications if they're not impacted by that reduction in force directly, as as Catherine mentioned in the context of PERM filings. And then also employers may want to review for any potential requirements, um, such as offering that return airfare, notifying USCIS, or potentially amending filings if there's a change in location, work hours, or pay. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.